doesn't count. Okay. So what's the word? Zadakah. Okay, that's that's not good enough. We gotta one more time, ready? Zadakah. Perfect. All right. So hold on to that, we'll come to it. All right. Um, so this summer, uh, we kind of wanted to piggyback off of Matthew's sermon series with Joseph. Um, so we've been in-depth into the end of Genesis, and we just wanted to look at more figures, uh, specifically from the Old Testament, kind of focusing on narratives, uh, and just look at some stories that maybe we've heard before. Maybe we've known these all our lives, growing up in church, and just take a fresh look at them. Just remind ourselves of who some of the figures are from the Old Testament, and what their relationship with God was like, how it got started, um, and even maybe just remind ourselves of some people that we don't think about often when we uh, get into the Old Testament. Um, we are still, as a side note, you can see the bottom slot here, uh, we are still missing some weeks, so please sign up. This is my unashamed plea for more people to sign up. I'm <clears throat> looking at the row of the one family right there specifically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as they argue about that. So uh, that is what we're going to do uh, this summer. And so if you are teaching, and Jay is up next week, so he'll grab this, uh, Matthew suggested this book, and so I've been looking through it, uh, and it's just got some helpful tips for interpreting the Old Testament, for looking through it. So uh, I have a sheet with some guidelines printed out that comes with this book. So I've done a lot of the pre-work, so it's not even that hard to do this. So uh, there's the book, there's notes, there's help. I will give you my phone number. Please sign up. Okay. Uh, so there is your introduction for the summer. Um, so far, I think, Jay, you're doing Joshua. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, I know. You're doing Isaiah, right? Someone's doing Isaiah. I don't remember who else we have signed up. I know people have signed up for names already. Um, so we have a good start going. Is that better? Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so this morning I wanted to look uh, at Abraham, but before we actually read any of the text that we're going to be in, uh, we have a little quiz to do. So from Genesis 12, there are five promises that God makes to Abraham. And then Genesis 17, he kind of reiterates that list, and then he adds two more to it. So there are seven total promises between Genesis 12 and Genesis 17 that God makes to Abraham. Does anybody remember, can anybody name one of them? Descendants. Great nation, Yeah. Be their God, yeah. So God's, well, I kind of summarize that, God's presence, yes. Absolutely. All people will be blessed through him, yep. Four, yes. Land, yeah, the promised land, big one. Two more. Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah, that's not so much a good promise. I probably should have specified. It is a promise. So maybe eight, my bad. That's my bad, yes. There'll be slaves in Egypt. Should have thought of that. Touche, uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, there's two more. Anybody know? No. Oof, that's good. I stumped us. 
We've already kind of, yeah, kind of, so. All right, we're giving up, moving on. Okay, it's a great nation, we got that one. Make his name great, sort of tied into the blessing aspect. Uh, all the families of the earth will be blessed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Promised land, offspring, specifically Isaac, there is kind of one of those. Uh, and Paul even points out later, hey, that's singular, that's not plural, there is one that, so he kind of ties that into Jesus. Uh, and then uh, we got the last one, we got God's presence. Uh, I will be your God, you'll be my people. The sixth one, kings will come from you. That's the last one, kings will come from you. That's from Genesis 17. So kings will come from you, okay? So it's with these promises, the, the kings is specifically from, from 17, so that was maybe not quite as much in view. But it's with these promises in mind that we have to come to Genesis 15, which is where we're going to be this morning. So uh, it starts out with Abraham asking some questions of God. So we're going to read the text. We'll be in Genesis 15. Um, if you want to turn there, it's up there too. I don't know if you can read it very well. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall go out to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Ends on a very exciting list there. Um, Genesis 15, right? So a couple of questions now. Uh, what does Abraham or Abram at this point, uh, what does Abraham ask God? Let me go back to the beginning. Look, what does Abraham ask God? Yeah. He asked for an heir. Yep. 
what does he say, though? He says, I don't have this. What? What are you going to do? Yeah, this guy from Damascus is going to be my heir, all right? Uh, that's not a son. He's probably a servant or, or someone who uh, had some sort of status that was, that was in Abraham's household, but it's not his own son. Um, so he's asking, why is this, why is this other guy uh, that where is, where is what you've promised me? He's really getting to the, you promised me all those things three chapters ago. Where, where are they? <laughs> where are they? So I want to focus in for a little bit on, on verse 6 specifically. Um, what does God say? What, what's God's response to Abraham, to Abram, before we get to verse 6? Look at the heaven that I created. Yeah. I can take care of you. Right, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't address the question specifically, does he? He says, yes, know, know that this man will not be your heir. Look at the heavens. He takes it just beyond that question. He looks, he says, look, it's not just the one I'm promising you. Try to count the stars. That's how God deals with this question. So then let's deal with verse 6 now. Uh, Abraham believed the Lord, counted to him as righteousness. What's significant about that verse? Anybody have any thoughts? Just what pops into your mind? Paul, right. <laughs> I'm getting there. Any other thoughts? What's significant about this? He believed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If he can create all that, surely he can create the one son that I need. Absolutely. It says, and Abraham believed, counted to him as righteousness. What does righteousness mean? What? Conformity to God's character? Yeah. yeah. What, else? what else? We're good Presbyterians, right? What's... Being right with God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, I like that one. That's a good one. Any other thoughts, definitions? So before, before I say what I think, um, I want to look a little bit at how some of the rest of the Old Testament deals with the idea of righteousness. Uh, so there's our word, all right? So what's our word? Zadakah. So this is that thing that looks like a Y. It's kind of pronounced like a, like a T-S. So it's so Z. So Zadakah, right? So that's our, that's our word. So that's righteousness. Zadakah. All right, so this is the first time. Genesis 15 is the first time this word shows up in the Bible at all. I think that's significant. It's the word righteousness. It's a pretty common word. Like people, even that aren't Christians, are familiar with this word. They've heard this word. So I think it's a little bit significant. This is the first place in Scripture that this word shows up. But when you look at, the re at some of the other places that this word gets used, uh, it gets a little interesting. His children and his household, Genesis 18, uh, after him, keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Okay, so I've got the doing underlined there. It's, there's, there's an action to this righteousness, right? So Deuteronomy then, you shall restore to him the pledges 
uh, as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. What's righteousness? It's this, it's this doing, right? It's this doing, whatever this pledge is. I didn't look at too much of the context there. Um, it's this doing thing. And then another, another example from 2 Samuel. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness to all of his people. What did David do? He did righteousness. Yeah, he administered it. There's this sense of doing. Uh, when, you, when you get into Zedekah, when you look at it, there's this kind of context of doing that you often see with it. But not in Genesis, right? What does Genesis 15, 6 say? And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. It's not anything Abraham did. Abraham believes this promise, and it's counted to him as righteousness. It was nothing that Abraham did, right? It was just God makes this promise. Abraham believes him. God says, counted to him as righteousness. Now, you, you mentioned Paul. Stealing my thunder here. Um, this is from Galatians chapter 3, uh, where Paul picks up this verse, Genesis 15, 6. He picks it up, and he quotes it here. Um, so it says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, and here's the quote, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So there's the fulfillment of the promise, right? There's the promise of the offspring, right, where Paul is, is tracing this. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. There's He's just quoting the promise now. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He pulls in a, another quote from Habakkuk there, which we read, was it last week? Did we read chapter two last week? Was that our scripture? So yeah, Habakkuk two. Um, there he quotes. So Paul picks out this verse, this first time that righteousness is used, and he says, this this is the foundation. This is where I get my entire theology of faith is from this verse in Genesis 15 and Habakkuk 2. I think this is an important verse. <laughs> he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if anyone ever says, yeah, it's, yeah, I just, if I do the right things, I am fine with God and go to heaven. Mm, no, it's not what Genesis says. It's not what Paul says, right? Sorry, I got preachy there for a second. <laughs> So we'll move on uh, a little bit. So we, we, get this, we get this narration, this verse uh, 15, 6, that's uh, it's really key. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But Abraham, his questions don't stop, do they? He keeps asking another question. All right? And it's, I've got it here. Uh, verse 7, uh, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. And Abraham says, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So verse 7 is uh, kind of the beginning of a covenant statement by God. Uh, in, in covenants, there's some formal language that happens, and the, kind of the first step of this covenant is 
like a historical prologue. It's reminding the person you're making this covenant with why, why I deserve to be in a covenant with you. So what has God done for Abraham? I brought you out of the land of the Chaldeans. I'm giving you this land to possess. I've made these promises to you. That's why we're going to enter this covenant, right? So we get this first hint of the covenant in verse 7, but Abraham interrupts it. He's not quite there yet. He's not quite ready. Um, what does he want to know? What's not just the question. The question he literally asks is, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Yes, how, how, does he, how is he supposed to know that he's going to take possession of the land? But what's the root? What do you think Abraham is struggling with? Yeah, how do I know you're going to keep your end of the bargain? Absolutely. Does anybody struggle with that? Has anybody ever had someone make a promise and not keep it? Yeah, I do too. Uh, I referee soccer, some of you guys know this. Uh, and I, I try to give grace to players. And they'll come up and say, hey, I didn't mean to do it. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. I said, okay, this is your warning. No more. Five minutes later, they do the same thing, right? Every game, without fail. Same player, they do the same thing. It happens. Promises get made and they get broken. Abraham wants to know, how do I know you're going to keep your promise? And so the rest of the chapter uh, becomes kind of this ritual, this covenant oath, this covenant um, promise of how God is going to serve. Yeah. Yeah, he has certainly made promises. Uh, the world hasn't been, as he, I was about to say, the world hasn't been flooded again, absolutely. So that's at least something. Um, That's right. Uh, humanity is not dead either. Genesis 3, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I need some guidance. Yeah. Yeah, I need some guidance. I need some direction. All right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jay did. You wanna? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, does anybody have? Does anybody struggle with this with Abraham? Like, it seems like he doubts here. Right, right. So he's made a, a journey from, from the land, and if you, you probably have a map of it, some of you in the back of your Bibles, it's not a short distance. It's a, it doesn't have anything yet. That's the point. So yeah, I think that's all. It's okay to ask questions. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is. They're gonna. They're gonna. Sarah. No, not at this point. He's just thinking about himself and what's gonna come from him. Yeah, absolutely. So as a as a symbol of as a symbol of this promise of this guarantee, God has Abraham grab a couple of things. Um, what does he say? He says, "Bring me a heifer three years old, a goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, uh, and a young pigeon." Uh, I've read a bunch of commentaries trying to figure out if there's significance to these, and they all just disagree. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's." Uh, that's this sacrifice that you see later in Leviticus, coupled with another sacrifice that's, or, and they all they all disagree. So, uh, I don't know the significance of the animals. Anyone have thoughts? Anybody know off the top of their head? Okay. He, he's a what? Yeah. <laughs> he is going to be able to do it in his sleep. 
Um, yeah. Absolutely, it could very, very well could be. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. So Abraham does this. Uh, he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against uh, the other. Um, so there's this picture of these animals kind of, kind of split open, um, leaning against each other. But he doesn't cut the birds in half, which I'm really glad because that's a really difficult. Pigeons aren't large. Birds. That's a um, that's a good picture. Uh, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what's going on with these birds of prey? This is a detail we kind of normally skip over because well, you got dead animals lying around. Birds are going to come down, right? Um, what does anybody have any thoughts about this? Yeah, they're waiting some time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it takes them, takes them a while to get the animals. It probably takes them quite a long time to cut them in half. And <laughs> they wouldn't have noticed for a while. Sorry, John. One second. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. Could be. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. Of this is from from the Lord, and I, I'm, I'm maybe not sure what's going on. I think Abram does have some clue that this is uh, some sort of ceremony, some way. Uh, when you think of when you think of like old cartoons or movies or something, and you you see this vulture flying around, what usually happens? The the sky gets dark, and this bird is flying around, circling. Yeah, he puts on a bib in the cartoons. He's getting ready to eat. Is that like a is that like a happy situation? No, no. For the for the vulture, it is. Yes, uh, that's not a happy situation. This is this is introductory like curse language. There's this picture of judgment flying over these things. All right. I think this is really important to note. Yeah. Probably, yes. Um, so covenants had, there were a couple of different parts. I already mentioned kind of the historical prologue. So God starts with in verse 7, I'm, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur. Um, it wasn't, this is kind of a unique situation too because it's a covenant between man and between God. Normally the gods were invoked, like when you look at, at Egypt and at, uh, we actually have a lot of Hittite documents uh, that have been discovered recently. There's a lot of Hittite covenants. Um, when you look at the Hittites, it's always like two people, and then God's like the witness to it. Um, so this is this is already unique, um, and there's usually some sort of ceremony that goes along with this covenant to like ratify this covenant to um, to just kind of make it formal to formalize it, you know. Um, so Abraham already knows that he. I think he has some inclination of what's going on. 
but I do, like this is unique because it's with God. It's not with another person. It's with God. Um, and part of this covenant is you look at blessings. If you, if you keep your side of the bargain, here are all the blessings that you get. If you don't, here are the curses that will happen to you if you don't keep it. So we get, we get these birds of prey flying around, and we know that Abraham's probably already thinking, oh, here's the judgment coming. I need to do everything I can to keep this judgment away from this covenant, from this ceremony. Right? So then I think another part of this, too, why does darkness fall over him, a dreadful and great darkness? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely part of it, yeah. Well, any other thoughts? Mm. Yeah, they are. I hadn't even gotten there. That's amazing. <laughs> and darkness was over the land from what the from the ninth hour to the sixth hour, something like that. Sorry, he said uh, this has echoes of Jesus of the crucifixion, which I hadn't even made that connection yet. That's brilliant yeah that's uh, uh, sorry it's just like i'm i get i get really flabbergasted by things like that in scripture when i when i find connections like that so i'm kind of just like i maybe maybe uh that was great uh sorry you kind of threw me off it's good um uh yes because this isn't it the sun going down happens later, right? So a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Uh, and then verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark. So this apparently happens while it's light, right? Um, some people think this might be like he kind of enters like a vision state, like God is is kind of stopping him and putting him into this uh, trance-like situation where he can't now participate in the rest of it. Um, there's something to that. Uh, I think what, what you said about maybe he's just feeling the weight of this, that, that's definitely a big part of it. And we got to remember, too, what he says in verse 1, don't be afraid. Uh, there's heavy things coming. Don't be afraid. Um, and so whatever this is, as they're entering this very solemn ceremony and this very... Uh, heavy thing where they're dealing with curse language and blessing language, God's going to help them feel the weight of it, right? And she says, don't be afraid. Yeah. 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 It is curious. Um, because right after this darkness falls, the Lord gives him a very heavy truth. He gives him that promise that uh, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and will be servants there. Uh, that word servant could very easily be slave to. Um, lands that's not theirs will be uh, slaves there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. That's not, a, that's not a good piece of news to get. Hey, I've made you all these promises. I'm gonna fulfill it. We're going to do this ceremony to make sure that you know that I am in this and we're going to commit to it. And by the way, your offspring are going to be slaves for 400 years. 
<laughs> just heads up. Um, but it doesn't just end there. It doesn't end with the affliction. It doesn't end with the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I hadn't made that connection either. That's good. Yeah, you. Sorry. It is, and and he gives him a little piece of comfort right after this too. I don't, uh, I don't want to skip over that. Um, as for yourself, yes, here's what you need to know about your offspring and the land. These promises that I made you, you're not going to see it. That's true. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. Perhaps that's another promise we should have <laughs> included in that list: is that Abraham will live. Uh, for a while. He's already kind of old, too, isn't he? How old is he when Isaac's born? A hundred, yeah. So he's not, even here, he's not a young man <laughs> anymore. Um, so as for you, you'll be buried with your fathers, you'll live uh, to a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We could Talk about that if you want to. I don't know exactly what that means. That's a tough one. The iniquity of the Amorites. Uh, thoughts? Can I have thoughts on that? <laughs> that could be. Yeah, that very very well could be. Uh, were they, was the line of Cain wiped out during the flood, though? Are these just wicked people um, who have made a name for themselves somehow, done something wicked? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It could be. Very well could be. You what? I'm sorry? Yeah, he, I mean, I think he has a special place in his heart for everyone. Um, but he is, I think part of there, too, is there's a little bit of grace in there, too. He's giving them time. Their, their iniquity is not complete. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'd be like Nineveh and would turn. I don't know. Um, maybe for lunch. we'll move on. Um, more questions, a couple more. Uh, moving on to verse 17. <clears throat> when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt, uh, the Euphrates, all to the Canaanites, Canaanites, and, and the list goes on. Um, so why a flaming torch? Why a fire pot? What, is, what are these things? Have we seen God at any other times throughout the Bible appear as fire or a flame or something like this? Sinai, yeah, he comes down in, in flames and smoke and thunder. Yeah. Yeah, he shows up in the fire with him, Absolutely. The pillar of fire in Exodus that he leads them by, the cloud by day and the fire by night. Mm -hmm. And then there's this light. Yeah, absolutely. Fire pot, um, yeah, typically for cooking, uh, you might also think of it like what Gideon does is he's got this torch with this kind of pot over it that kind of covers it, but still there's, you'd still see some light out from it. It'd just be a little darker. 
Um, so it's, it's probably one of those two. It's either something for cooking or something more warlike. If you could find ancient pottery still intact and figure out ancient ovens and figure out what it's used for, they could, that would probably help us. But until we find them, uh, those are the two main. It's probably for cooking is the large, largely the consensus. Um, but yeah, so we've seen God show up in fire a lot, right? Uh, where, where is Genesis being written? When, when was it written? Where was it written? What's the context for, okay, who wrote it, first of all? Moses. Where is Moses writing this? <laughs> maybe, in, maybe, in a tent maybe? He's on the outside of the promised land looking in, probably in that 40 years they're wandering the desert most likely. Um, so what is Israel seeing day in and day out? They're seeing this cloud in the day. What, they're seeing sand, yeah, they're wandering around the desert. Uh, they're seeing this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night, all right? They've made a covenant with God. And so as, as this story is getting retold, as Moses is recording this story, he says, Hey, the same way God showed up to Abraham, he showed up in fire, and he made a covenant, he made promises, he's showing up to us, too, he's showing up to Israel as well. So I think that's part of it, is I think, I think that there's some hope being offered to Israel very specifically, because it's paralleling those situations. Here's a covenant with Abraham, they make a covenant at Sinai, which as Bill pointed out, he comes down the mountain on, on fire and smoke and thunder, uh, and here he's coming to Abraham in fire. He comes to Moses in a burning bush. This is, a, this is the way God shows up, and it's, I think part of it is uh, that parallel between Israel and, and what's going on here. And the torch passed between these pieces. What's the significance of that passing between the animals? So we've got these animals cut in half, uh, and then this flame goes between it in the back. Yeah, absolutely. This is totally God-centered, right? So God appears, he passes through these animals. Uh, so we've got this picture of judgment. It starts with the birds, then we've got this darkness looming. All this judgment, all the curses, if I don't do what I've said to you, let me be like these animals, right? And I think this, this sleep, this state that comes over Abraham, God's keeping him from walking through. Because God knows, God knows what's going to happen with Israel when they make their covenant. How, how long does it take Israel to break their covenant? Uh, about, about a minute if you're reading quick. Uh, <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of weeks that uh, they, they break the covenant. And God knows, God knows that we can't, uh, we can't fulfill this side of it. So God says to Abraham, no, I'm going to fulfill these promises regardless of you. This is on me. I will provide the blessings, and I will take the curses on myself, which is what he does on the cross. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then he promises the land again, um, the land of the, this, this list shows up a lot of places, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Um, if you pay attention to that list, when you get into other parts of the Old Testament and you see uh, Joshua in the land, the conquest, you see King David finally driving out the Jebusites, that's like a symbol of his kingship that all, all of Israel goes, oh, he's the king because he drove them out, which was promised to Abraham all those, all those years ago. Um, so God has this just intense ceremony where he promises all of these blessings, takes all the curses on himself, and he says, here's the land. This is where it's going to be. And that's the covenant. You get all the blessings that I can give you, and I'm going to take the curses on myself. And I think that's an amazing uh, relationship. We talked about that a little bit this morning, too. I think that's an absolutely amazing uh, relationship that, that God comes down to humans and, and commits to us that way. So a couple more questions before we... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, the, the word that usually gets translated make, like God made a covenant, is probably better, like God cut a covenant, um, which is not insignificant. I, uh, there's an interesting movie called, uh, the movie's called The Quarrel, and it's, the whole movie, it's 45 minutes or an hour long, uh, it's a conversation between uh, a Hasidic Jew and, and a Jewish man who's, who's left the faith, who's not part of the faith. The whole movie's just a conversation. And um, the, the, the man who's left the faith just kind of asks a similar question. And, and the, uh, the faithful man replies, he said, if I knew God, I'd be God. Um, and sometimes I think we have to end up there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know why God does a lot of things. I don't know why he does a lot of things to, uh, to the world in, in the way that he's orchestrated the world. I don't know why my life has been the way it's been. But, uh, yeah. where I was going to go. Maybe, maybe this is a lot of it's for our benefit so that we could believe in God and his greatness and his glory and his power and see this greatness and we can see the judgment that he is capable 
of pouring out, and we praise him all the more for the grace that he's given us. I think that, that could definitely be part of it. minute or two. Comes a couple of final questions here, um, which we've already dealt with some of these. So I was a little going, oh, they've already hit the end of the, already hit the point. Uh, what does it mean to have faith? Does Abraham doubt God in spite of his faith? Which we kind of dealt with that a little bit, but we can deal with it a little bit more specifically now, I guess. Sure. No, most certainly he does not. He does not. But he. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. There is. Right. Right, absolutely. Here's another trivia question. What does Israel mean? What does the name Israel mean? Strive, struggles with God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's a blessed name, isn't it? Like, Jacob's holding on to this, this figure, and they're wrestling, and he gets injured, but he still won't let go. And he says, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then the blessing is, yeah, you're one who strives with God, who struggles with God. That's, like, that's the blessing there. So I, I don't think this is wrong. I don't think it's wrong that Abraham's asking this question. God, you've made these promises. He's made promises to us, hasn't he? I don't think it's wrong to say, all right, God, I trust you. I have faith in you. I, there's, a, there's a gap. I don't, I don't see how you're fulfilling these promises. I don't think that's wrong um, to ask those questions. And I think part of the reason Abraham can do that is because of his, his relationship. He has a very close relationship. I don't know many of us that have, that God's instructed, hey, go take some animals, cut them in half in your backyard. <laughs> Unless you're having a barbecue, you're having people over, then 
invite me. Uh, sure. Bring me, bring them to me. Uh, yeah. There's a ceremony. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what's, what's Abraham's relationship with God based on? What should our relationship with him be based on? God's promises. Who God is, right? I think, I think his promises and who he is go together. I, Exodus 34 is like my favorite passage. I like almost can't, <laughs> I feel like I have to talk about that every time I stand up here. Uh, Exodus 34, uh, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, slow to anger, um, forgiving iniquity and sin and transgression. Uh, our relationship is based on who he is, and who he is is a God who makes promises. He's a God who forgives. He's a God who's slow to anger. And we see this here with God coming down and saying, I will take all the judgments. I'll take all the curses. I'll give you all the blessings. So I'm the one that wants to maintain this relationship. And when you screw up and when you break this covenant, I'll renew it because I'm a God who forgives, and I'm a God who fulfills my promises. I think. And then last, last question, how much assurance does God give Abraham? It's an interesting question. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it gives him this wonderful, as you said, a mountaintop experience, this experience with God. Um, it gives him that uh, he says, no, your offspring will be slaves in a land for 400 years. That's not great assurance all the time, is it? Um, but how much assurance does God give us? Kind of. Enough. That's a good answer. I like that answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> as much as he wants to. We do. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> That's a good point. I think uh, I'll come back to the cross here. This solemn ceremony that happens here in, in, in 15, this darkness comes, there's birds of prey swarming around. Uh, this, is, this ceremony is the, that's the assurance that he gives. He's like, let it be done to me, right? Well, on the cross, it gets done to him. Right, we have this darkness again. As you pointed out, um, it gets done to him. All the the judgments, the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, and then we get the blessings. Right, the fulfilled Jesus fulfills the covenant. He keeps it perfectly, so we get all the blessings of this covenant through him. I think looking at that, I think that's a whole lot of assurance, and that's why we can point to different scriptures every Sunday. We we do a confession of sin, and then we have an assurance right after. Right? Every week we have, it's a little different every week. We have a couple of different ones that we use. But I think in Christ we can read him and his coming and his death and his resurrection and his ascension as the assurance of our faith. And we can get that from Abraham in Genesis 15, which is, just continually blows my mind. So, um, any other questions, last thoughts? 
Yeah. If we really knew the drops of the sun, yeah. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All right. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll get out of here.